today. Hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. That at least will be the verse that we kick off with today. If you're just joining us, or if this is your first time here, my name's Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at Radiant Church, and before we jump into the message, we always like to greet everybody who's watching online today. If you're watching online, we're so glad that you're with us, and our heart is whether you're watching online or in the room that you have an encounter with Jesus today, and we hope that that's your experience. But church, can we welcome those who are watching online? We're glad that you're with us today. Uh, We started a series the start of the month called follow me what does it mean to be a disciple of jesus what does it mean to follow him and we talked about different marks of what that would look like or these things should play out and be transforming and working in our life and the first step is encountering him and you start beginning to have a transformation of jesus and we've been on a journey as as a leadership of the church for the last couple of years just trying to think through what does it mean To not only be a disciple, but what's the process of that? Because it seems so organic. It's not a program. It's not some uh, class that you show up to and you learn the ABCs of Christian faith. It's actually an encounter of Jesus who transforms your life. You decide to follow him, and he begins to work the miraculous in your heart and your life, and, and you begin to transform. So in August of 21... I spent like a year just reading book, researching where Jesus is moving in China, in the Middle East, and uh, seeing how do they make disciples. And what got me during all this was in 2018, I, I sat down with a, a pastor from Iran. And he had made this statement that in Iran, we have unbelievers leading unbelievers to Jesus. They, they were disciples making disciples, and they didn't even know it. They were having dreams of Jesus and encountering him. And so I, I begin to, like, research how God is moving, and I begin to see, oh, there's one element that we're not doing here in the States. So we've been praying about this for, for a couple years now. So then I started reading these books. Well, in 2018, or 2021, 2021 of August, I asked the staff. They knew we've been thinking we need a discipleship process, not a program, not content, a process. What is our process? And we often get asked, what does it look like, or how are you making disciples at Radiant? And I would ask them, well, what is, what is your definition of a disciple? What, what would be the mark of that? And they would say, well, freedom, transformation. I'm like, that's happening here. That's uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That, that's happening. These things are happening. But there is something about going a little deeper, maturing in our faith that you can't get on a Sunday morning. But I asked, so I asked the staff in August of 21, hey, what helped you grow in faith? And what began to happen, and not just staff, but other conversations with other pastors and other Christian friends, how did you grow in your faith? And all the ingredients really were the same just about everyone. One would say, well, the Sunday gathering is a starting point for a lot of us. Someone invites us to church, or there's a, you know, a professor that, that knew Jesus, or we have a, a co-worker, and they started talking to us about faith, and eventually we get invited to the church. And then there's Christian fellowship. We talked about that week one, engaging in Christian communities. Community. And then there's the spiritual disciplines, like learning how to pray, learning how to read your Bible. This is why we often give out every three months the SOAP journaling process, so you can learn how to hear God through scriptures. And then there are encounters. There's, so you get to spiritual disciplines. We talked about this in week two, that our fascination with Jesus, like 
delighting in him, enjoying him, and worshiping him, like real encounters with Jesus should fuel all of our spiritual disciplines. So our encounters here, like our you know, awaken event, sometimes it's Sunday mornings. Uh, maybe you've come to a church service and all you could do is weep. During, you're, you're encountering the Lord. Maybe you're here today. You've been thinking about God. You've, well, I, I would argue if you've been thinking about God, that's actually him pursuing you. So these, 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 these encounters. So church, Christian friends, spiritual disciplines, encounters with Jesus that's fueling all the other things. And then continued teaching. So certainly we do get to the place where what is our theology? What are the, the Christian staples? What, so that certainly that, that is part of it. So we threw all of this up on a whiteboard. And, you know, there were, there were other things. But those were kind of the five main ingredients. Church, other believers doing life with us. Deep encounters with the Lord. The infilling of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual disciplines. And teaching. Getting to a place of growing deeper in faith. So we started looking at like, well, what is the process for that? And I tell you all that to say, because we knew like this, these are the ingredients, but how do we mix it up? Like what's the process of all of these things? And the one thing that we felt like, um, not, I wouldn't say we were missing it, but we weren't as intentional, was maturing believers, getting believers to go deeper and mature in their faith. And so we started talking about what does that look like? And that's why we started reading these books and looking at like how disciples were remain. I share all that to say that tonight, everyone say tonight, tonight at 6 p.m. because we can't really share our process on a Sunday morning because it's nuts and bolts. And again, not a program, but just what are the nuts and bolts of how to grow as disciples? So who's that for? Listen, if you're a leader in the church, maybe you've been part of Equip, you oversee a ministry here, uh, or maybe you just ask me the question, because I do get asked this, like, hey, how, how can I disciple other people? I've had people mature in their faith say, you know, I've been a believer for decades, and I want to help other people. How do I do that? And this is that. So tonight, we will share that process. We will, we will talk about what a discipleship group looks like. We want to launch that tonight, give you an invitation. I will say this as well. Coming doesn't mean you have to doesn't mean you have to launch a group doesn't mean you have to be part of a group but you might just want to know like I think I want to know what does it mean to be a disciple or what's the process of the church I think you would want to be here it's open to everybody but especially our leaders we're asking you to come we've been piloting this since May we've been tweaking it for the last few months kind of figuring out like ironing out the wrinkles of it but we want to share that with you with the church tonight and when you come we'll give you a packet after we share the process we'll give you a packet and we'll, we'll walk it out with you. Is that all right? Let's pray. Father, today, I believe you're in the room, you're moving, you're speaking, you're pursuing us. And we want the Holy Spirit to be here. We know you're here. And so, Lord, it's one message, but you speak to every heart in different ways. And so, Father, I pray, strengthen our faith, stretch us today, challenge us if we need to challenge us, comfort us if we need comfort. But we invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak. Lord, I'm reminded of Isaiah 50, verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. So I pray for a word that brings substance today. In Jesus' name, amen. Quick uh, recap from uh, Matthew chapter 28. We read this two weeks ago, but let, let's hit it again today. Starting in verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go 
and make disciples. Say that with me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Something we've been showing every week is the idea of what is a disciple of Jesus. Not someone who just believes in him. Many people believe in Jesus. There's a difference between believing in him and following him. And the difference is he's your Lord, he's your Savior, and he's transforming your life. So we have a definition that we've been sharing every week. Let's put it back up on the screen. Here it is again. Here's what a disciple of Jesus is. Someone who fully believes and follows and is transformed by Jesus. Would you say that with me? I fully believe, follows, and is transformed by Jesus. Let's say it again. Someone who fully believes follows, and is transformed by Jesus. I know we just keep saying that, but I want that to get into us because I don't want us to just think that Christianity is like theology. It's important. There's part of it. But that's not all that it is. We actually follow a person. We actually follow Jesus. We encounter him, and it transforms us. So today I want to talk about how do we make disciples? How do we lead other people who don't know Jesus yet to faith? Now, there's 160,000 people in our county. And if, if my memory serves me right, don't quote me, but I think it's something like 115,000, may actually be higher than that, but at least that, that had either left faith or have no faith, they have no affiliation with Christianity. There's 115,000 people in our county within 15 miles of this church who don't know Jesus. I just read a, a, a blog this week that people are more spiritually hungry now in this generation than in years past. Like Generation Z right now is open to spirituality. They want to have the discussion. Even baby boomers are opening up and wanting a discussion of, of Jesus. So this tells me our time is now. We have an opportunity to reach a people who don't know Jesus yet. And if you're a follower and you've encountered him, I want to challenge you. Let's go and make disciples. How do we share our faith with other people? This is important because when we share our faith, look, our relationship with Jesus it is personal, but it's not private. It's a personal encounter, but we don't keep it to ourselves. We must share our faith with other people. And when we share our faith, it releases God's love. It releases his joy. It releases hope into the world. And there is a world that is desperate and longing and wanting to know who Jesus is. Well, how, how do we do that? Number one, just four thoughts on this today. How do we reach others for Jesus? Number one, just pray first. I mean, obviously, you know, like every three or four weeks, I put prayer in one of my points. Like, it's always going to come back to we have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not enough to just know scriptures and know Bible and know the Romans' pathway to salvation. It's not enough to lead someone in prayer. We must be empowered because you can say something and it's inspirational, maybe intriguing, but you want the anointing of the Holy Spirit so it's transforming and there is a difference. And so it's prayer that, that we encounter the Lord ourselves. And through prayer, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit 
to be witnesses. We see this in the book of Acts just several weeks after Jesus' resurrection. And he tells his disciples, wait here until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And it's with the 120 who are in the upper room praying. And we know in Acts chapter 2, in their prayers, God pours out in a miraculous way. But let's read this. Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If we want to lead people to Jesus, we must pray first because I doubt, and I would, I would say even this is true for me. I, like, I wrestle with the urgency of people who don't know Jesus. But when I pray, I feel the urgency. When I don't pray, I start starting getting lax on it. I don't feel the need. I don't feel like there's broken and hurting people and I lose the compassion that Jesus had when he seen the multitudes. But when I pray, I feel his compassion for the lost. And when you, you so you pray, you'll get that urgency, you'll get that empowerment. He says, I'll empower you and you will be a witness. When I was a machinist, this was 25 some years ago. I was a machinist for seven years at Eaton. And I had a machine that had like a one minute cycle. And so I made a list, 20-some people, this was 25 years ago, uh, uh, just 20-some people, family members, friends, people I went to high school with, just a list of people who didn't know Jesus yet. And every day, I put that list on my machine, I would just pray for them by name. Lord, I pray that you'd send people into their life that would help them discover Jesus. Someone who can share Jesus with them in a way that they can understand. And I would pray for them. And I've watched over the 20 plus years, one by one, not all of them yet, but most of them, most of them have come to faith because of prayer. Start there. That's where it starts, is prayer. But on a more personal level, number two, we must build bridges through friendships. Uh, we had uh, a guest speaker here uh, earlier this month, Cliff Graham, who is an evangelist. He does crusades all over the world and wins people to Jesus. And he, he had talked about this urgency. He had talked about um, a boldness. And he sh the stories he shared struck me as one-offs, like strangers. He was And that's important. And I have shared uh, the gospel with, with strangers. But I would also add this. We need to build friendships with people who don't know Jesus yet so we can build a bridge and then we're able to share our faith with them. And I don't mean share our theology. I mean build the relationship, know who they are, get to know their story for, first before you tell them their So I'm not saying break out the King James heathen choker and tell them, but build the relationship. And that could take months before you ever get to talk about Jesus. We build friendships. Here's why that's important. Because often people can't hear the truth of the gospel until they can feel the grace of God coming off you. And so we, we build uh, these relationships with the Lord, or I mean with, with people who don't know the Lord, and it opens doors so they can encounter him. Often this will take place through like a something you enjoy, like a hobby or some activity or 
Maybe your, your kids are in some sports event. Maybe your daughter's in cheerleading and, and you show up and you're building these relationships with, with, with these other parents around. And you know, look, I, I don't want to say this right because I don't want to come across as that people are projects. They're not. Real relationship means you'll hear their story. You want to know their story. You want to feel the pain with them. You want to walk with them through that. But we've had many people in our church talk about how they were involved in the activities that they're in and it's led people into these four walls. Someone, they built a friendship, they, they, you know, they built a friendship with maybe a coworker, and the coworker is going through some challenge, and it opens the door for the conversation because they created a friendship first. Mine is music. I've always loved music. I actually thought that's what I would do with my life. And I didn't even care if I was poor doing it. Like, I remember, remember this. I, one of my first dates with Jenny, I drove her to a, 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 a broken-down house, I can't remember the name of the road, but I remember where the house was. And it was like dilapidated, condemned, like, you know, no windows in it, weeds growing inside the house. And I said to her, would you still love me if we lived there? She lied to me and said yes. (laughs) But I believed her. Because I said to her, like, I really feel passionate about music. And one day that's what I'm going to do. And if, if it takes my whole life and I stay poor, I'm going to play music. Well, eventually the Lord would lead me to other things, but music has always been a bridge for me with other people. Uh, when we started out in Radiant Church in Kalamazoo, I had a, my like personal recording, home, a home recording studio. There was a guy from high school we used to play together in a band. He was a, he was a drummer, but he was began writing country music, and he wanted to, to go into that, so he'd come over to my house. I wouldn't talk about Jesus. I think he knew I was a Christian. Well, I wasn't talking about Jesus. We were just playing music together and writing songs together. And he wanted to release a country album. So, you know, some of you probably aren't country fans, but I enjoy country music. And so we were writing these songs. Well, one day, I can't remember, but so several weeks of writing together, Kevin, his name's Kevin, he said, uh, brings up politics. And I don't remember how, how it worked to Jesus, but this is how the Lord is. And somehow, through the, I believe through prayer, Kevin was on my list, by the way, that I was praying at the machine. Somehow through prayer, I just steer the conversation to Jesus. And I start telling Kevin about the Lord. And I, start Kevin, and, he, and I learned that he was Catholic. He grew up Catholic. He wasn't practicing, but, you know, he was a priester, Christmas and Easter. And that's all he would go to was those two services. But he really didn't even know his own Catholic background. And so I started sharing, well, have you ever made a decision to follow Jesus? Do you know what it means to know him? Because this isn't just like a, a faith or some you know, ethereal thing out there, some religious thing. It's actually a relationship. And so I lead him to the Lord in, in my studio. Two weeks later, Kevin calls me and he says, this is the craziest thing. I had a dream. And in my dream, I'm standing in a church. And he named the church. It was a church in the town. It wasn't Radiant. And uh, it just bugs me that you sometimes, I'm not mad, Lord, but sometimes when you lead people to the Lord, they go to other churches. And uh, this happened for him. But he had a dream of this church, and he names this church. I'm like, well, that can't be the Lord because, no, I told him. He said, I don't know what to make of this. And I said, Kevin, I think the Lord's preparing you for ministry. You don't know what this means yet? God will, you know, figure this out for you. You don't have to figure out the steps. He'll get you there. Because he wants you there more than you want to be there. But he's, you know, letting you know he's preparing you for ministry. 
And this is blowing his mind, by the way. But within a two-year frame, I tell him what a worship leader is. He didn't know what that was. Well, I think that means you're probably going to lead worship. And within a two-year time frame, he ends up being the worship leader at this church. And even today, he's not in Battle Creek anymore, but today he's still a worship leader in South Carolina leading many thousands of people. He's part of a, a large network down there, and he leads many people in worship because I built a friendship. And he was a person who was interested. Now, every, every one of us, I get the fear part. I, you know, I'm an introvert. You, you know, it's probably weird that you, to think of me that way because I speak. But I'm naturally a shy person. I'm not very outgoing. You know, for me, like, having a good time is sitting at home for Jen, having a good time is like, let's invite tons of people over the house. She's revived and full of life, and I'm depleted. And so, I mean, for me to, like, share my faith, with her, I have to pull out of this introvert and, figure, and get the extrovert part of me, like the redemptive part, like share your faith with, with other people. I, was gonna, I had a reason for that, but I've forgotten why I was telling you that. <laughs> people of peace. Oh, I remember why. Because we're afraid of rejection. You know, we're afraid that, you know, especially now, like, it's not like the 1980s anymore. In the 80s, everybody knew the gospel, even if you didn't go to church. Everyone knew the Jesus story. It's not that way anymore. Sometimes I'll hear people share, like, what they believe about Jesus, and I'll tell them, that's not the Jesus I know. And, but we're afraid of being rejected. And I do feel like in the culture we're in now, if you're a Christian in, in the United States, we're beginning to sense some hostility. I don't want to focus on that, but I do want to say that we've not worked that spiritual muscle of learning how to face rejection when we share our faith. We're a very spiritual culture now, embracing a, a lot of different religions and different ways of worship and, you know, here's my truth. And, and we fear that someone will reject us. And listen, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. Or maybe we're afraid we don't know enough. But how do we build bridges as we find people of peace who are open? Because not everybody will be. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, to some were the fragrance of life, to others were the fragrance of death. But we look for people of peace. Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sends out his disciples, says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. These are his followers. Sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he's about to go. Listen, Jesus, I believe this. Jesus is sending you to places where he's about to go, but he needs you to be there. He needs you to show up to that activity, to that bowling league, to that you know, whatever event, whatever activity, whatever sports thing, whatever your thing is, that he needs you to show up. Maybe you're just great at conversation. Be that, but show up. So he sends them there, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Again, there it is, pray. Start there. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Most of us like the prayer part. I'll pray for other people to go, but don't send me, Lord. But look at the next word. What's the next word? Go. Go. I'm sending you. So what he's saying is hopefully when you're praying to the Lord of the harvest for workers, you hear him say, it's you. 
hits you. Because this is what he's telling me. You're the ones, guys. Go. I'm sending you. Say that with me. I'm sending you. Hey, hit the person next to you and say, Jesus is sending you. Now turn to the other person to the other side. I think he's sending you too. The next part's not so popular. Out like lambs among wolves. But he'll be with you. Don't take a, a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet any, anyone on the road. So in ancient times when you were a traveler, it was custom because you're likely... You know, wouldn't see anybody for a long time, so you would talk to strangers as you pass them. But he's speaking of the urgency to get there. Don't, don't take time to dilly-dally and just have, you know, general conversations. Get to the place I'm sending you because it's important that you be there. And when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. So Jesus has given us a spiritual mechanism, peace, that will guide us to know who to share our faith with. This is, this is how Jen and I pick Jackson. Literally, we drive to a town, and we just feel like, do we have peace here? Remember, one of the first places was Cadillac, Michigan, and we thought it was the place. I thought it's either Cadillac or Lansing. So we drive, we drive to Cadillac, no peace, no peace, like met with other pastor there that we know really well, no peace. Drive to Lansing, and I'm like, maybe? Jen's like, no, no peace, no peace. A week before we come to Jackson, I have a friend who takes me out to lunch. He's a pastor in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And he says, hey, I was thinking about planting a church in Jackson, but maybe you're the one to go. And I said, that's what I said, I'll never go to Jackson. I said that. It's a true story. I'd never go to Jackson. just like Battle Creek. I don't want to be in Battle Creek anymore. I've learned Jackson's nothing like Battle Creek. And by the way, I just want to say this. Jackson is my home. I mean, I will live here the rest of my life unless an angel tells me to leave. I mean, it would take a move of God. But we drove in. It was the first week of June, maybe the second week. We drive in. 2012, we drive in. We take the exit by Starbucks. And I'm looking at the mall. I'm looking at the burger place that they tore down that now is Texas Roadhouse, I think. And uh, we ate lunch at that burger place that day. But I'm looking, think, well, maybe. And by we hit the exit. And, and when we're driving down West Street, I think the bridge was being rebuilt, if I remember right, on West Street. So we couldn't go over by Taco Bell to get to downtown. So I'm like, I want to see the downtown area. And I mean, we get downtown. We've been in town maybe an hour and a half, maybe. And we're laughing. We're walking down the street, the peace that we're feeling. And Jen, so let me just, I got time, I'll say it. I've been journaling for a year to dream again, because I had forgotten to. I was on a, I was at a conference in Chicago called The Story. And the, it's, a, it's a conference that just, essentially, it's just like everyday people like doing their thing for the Lord. And they brought up this Mexican immigrant who came, came to the United States, and he was a dishwasher. And he tells, tells a story about him being mad at the Lord because I moved to the United States to better my life, and I'm a dishwasher. And I'm sitting, you know, out in the congregation just watching, and I didn't want to go to the conference. My creative team drug me there because they knew Mike's off. What is well, the Lord was stirring my heart. I didn't know it. So this was like 2011. And I, and his, but I'll never forget what this immigrant said. He said, the Lord said to me, you know what? You don't dream anymore. And when he said that, it pierced my heart. 
I'm like, that's it. I don't dream anymore. So I started like, Lord, I need dreams. I started praying. I, I need, it's like something's off. I, you know, I, what was happening? I didn't know at the time, but God was lifting the grace of me being a worship leader. And he was calling me to something else. So I started dreaming, writing down dreams, dream again. All, for a year, all, like every other month, so something about a dream, just journaling a dream, a dream, a dream. And then we're at this event in Kalamazoo in the prophetic presbytery. And one of the guys says to me, he says, the Lord is telling me to tell you, you need to dream again. You forgot. And you forgot to dream big. And it is rocking my world, what he's saying. And he says this, don't limit your imagination. And I'm, so I get like, I go get the recording. And I get all that journal like, dream big, don't limit your imagination. And he kept telling me, dream big, dream big. We're, we're in downtown Jackson, 2012, June, walking. And I'm, I'm thinking about the, the scripture. We were like those who dreamed. I'm shutting my car door. We're getting out. I'm thinking of what this guy said to me uh, a week ago about dreaming big, about my buddy telling me, you know, he should go to Jackson, Michigan. And I'm thinking about um, don't limit your imagination. All these words, all this journaling, just at one moment, a year of dreams, one moment in time, I'm walking down Jackson or Michigan Avenue right there on the north side. And the speaker system was playing the temptations Singing, it's just my imagination. Like a dream come true in my mind. It's uh, Listen, I know for, for you it's like nothing. But for me it was like stars freaking aligning. You're supposed to be in Jackson. Peace is how I knew. This is how you know. You will sense a thing. You'll, you'll, you'll be drawn to somebody. Listen. We pray first because it has to be empowered. Then let's build bridges. Ask the Lord, who are you drawing me to? Because when you share your faith, you release God's joy. You, you release his love. Number three, your story has power. This is the third thing I want you to get. Your story has power and it's bigger than you think. Your story fits in God's story, in his bigger story. You have a before Jesus and an after Jesus. I'm getting a little hot. Hang on. First service, it's cold because you all wait till the second. <laughs> a lot less people in that one. By the way, you could pray about being a missionary to second service so we can make more room and uh, go to third or first. A little side thing, plug for you. So your story is prophetic. Because when you tell your story, it, it says to the other person, if God did that for him or her, he'll do it for me. But I feel like most of us doubt our stories. You think, well, I don't know enough about the Bible, or, you know, I don't have this incredible story where, I, you know, I was down and out and addicted to drugs, and somehow God shows up and supernaturally through an angel. I don't have a road to Damascus experience like Paul, and we minimize our story, and that's just what the devil wants. He wants you to shut your mouth so we don't spread the joy, so we don't spread the light, so we aren't salt to the earth. And it is through your story that will spread the gospel to other people. Your story is prophetic. Hit the person next to you and say, man, your story is powerful. Do it. Do it. All right. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. Turn to the other person and say, your story is power.
Church, I want you to feel this. I want you to feel this. Don't minimize. Listen, I grew up, my, my story is simple. I grew up in a home, maybe a little bit about God, but not very much. My, I get saved at 10 years old. My dad was an atheist. He gets saved. He, mom was first, dad second, then me. And the rest of the family follows. And then from 10 years old, other than a, a quick little three-year period where I got really wild, but other than that, I've been pretty much a good boy. And that's not, like, you know what? Wait, we love it when the bad boy gets up on stage, don't we? All tatted up, up the arms. And my wife has it. My whole family has tattoos but me. And they're all like, you need a tattoo? No, I don't. I don't even want one. They love it. It's like art on their body. It is. All my daughter-in-laws ever, uh, all of them, all my boys, all tattoos. And they say, oh, and I've learned this. You get one, you're getting more. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to take up that much real estate on my body. <laughs> Why break perfection? Amen. I got a witness. That's awesome. I don't know why I was saying that. I was a good boy. Thank you. But here I am. I trusted Jesus. He healed my marriage. He brought me here. I barely graduated high school. Listen, I went to night school four nights a week my senior year to graduate. I remember halfway through my first part of the senior year, first semester, counselor calls me and you're not going to graduate. So my second semester, literally Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And let me just add, after my 11th grade year, I also went to summer school. So, I mean, I was not, like, educated. I barely graduated. I know people, like, they brag about A's and B's, like, I've never gotten a B. I'm like, that's easy. I never did either. I never, I never got a B. I'm happy with my D's, happy with my average self. But I do have something to say. And when the Lord gets behind your story, it brings freedom to people. Do, your story's prophetic. When you share it, when you share your faith, when you share your journey, you're releasing love. You're releasing the joy of God. Like, this is why it's important. And we've forgotten how to do it. And Jesus said, make disciples. Pray, build a bridge, and then share your story because it will make a difference. Not theology. That's later. That's tonight. That's, that's a different thing. When the disciples first talked about Jesus, they didn't have a New Testament. They didn't have a Bible. They had the Old Testament, but they weren't even talking about that. They would use the scriptures from the Old Testament to point to Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ. But what they were doing was telling people about their experience with him. They were telling, they, were, they weren't inviting people to a theology. They weren't inviting people to a religion. It, the church was miraculously birthed because of their experience of encountering a resurrected Savior. And they, they walked with him. They talked and The story they told mattered. And it pulled people into the kingdom. John tells us this. When John writes 1 John, he writes it because there started to be a movement of people, of, of Christians, who started to say, well, Jesus was just a man. He wasn't God. 
or that, that Jesus was uh, a good, you know, he's a good man, he's a prophet, but he, he isn't like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's not part of the Trinity. He is not God. And so there was this philosophers who were claimed to be Christian, but saying, well, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. So they were, and he had to confront this as an old man. He's probably in his 90s, and he writes this to people. He says, that which was from the beginning, a wink that Jesus is eternal. That which is from the beginning, we have heard. So now they're saying, like, I've encountered him. Which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim. Not a Bible verse. There was no John 3.16 yet. For God so loved the world. There was, that didn't exist yet. They could only tell about their experience. I touched him. I seen him. I walked with him. Listen, we might not have been there 2,000 years ago and sat at the cross and witnessed a physical resurrection, but the resurrection power is in you, and you are encountering it, and you have a story that tells you have something to proclaim about how you have encountered Jesus. Can I get a witness? You have a a pre and after story. So this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and we testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim again to you what we have seen and heard. Not Bible. This is why I was saying from day one, like listen, discipleship and making disciples and winning souls for Christ and sharing stories is not... This is important. I don't want to minimize scripture because this is what we base our foundation off of. This has been passed on to us. This is very reliable. I believe it. From Genesis to maps, I believe this is the word of God. But they didn't have this. I tell that say because you might not know a lot about the Bible. You might not be like Nacho Libre. They don't think I know a lot about the Bible. But I do. And you might feel that way, but you have a story that can be proclaimed, and you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit when you pray over that story. Your story has power. And when you tell it, as I feel, when you tell it, you release the resurrected story into other people. You release love. You release joy. You release hope. It is prophetic. So don't minimize your story. And my last thought is this. Be bold and take a risk. Most of us fear being rejected. I've been called hypocrite. I've been called radical. I've been called a bigot. I've been called hateful recently. But it's because I'm taking a risk. And if you never suffer for your faith, maybe you're not taking enough risk. The rejection and the suffering isn't an indicator that you've done something wrong. I would argue you're probably doing something right. If I never got emails from you about something you didn't like, I said, I've not challenged you enough. But I don't want them. But <laughs> we get them sometimes. But you got to be bold. And you have to take a risk. We'll read this verse and then we'll pray. Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then? Let me just pause and say, 
Church, we have to feel the urgency. I believe in the reality of being eternally separated from God. And I know there's different thoughts on that. And, I, and I've read about all of them. But I, but I keep coming back to the rich man and Lazarus. I keep coming back to when I was 20 years old at an event called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flame. is probably one of the first times I ever heard God clearly, not audibly, but undeniably God. And I heard him say, there are people going to hell and you're using your gift for selfish reasons. And, it, and I wept. So not just because I can prove theology, but I heard the Lord talk to me about it. We have to have an urgency. You know, when, when I have these arguments or debates, I don't argue. If we have these debates about eternity and, and hell being a real place. I say this. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be a preacher. And I feel his love so much. I believe this. Paul, Paul felt compelled. Jesus felt compelled. Go. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? There are many people who don't believe in Jesus yet. But he's given them dreams as indicators. He's sending you going before them. Before he arrives, he shows, he sends you to prepare them for him. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in and how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? Paul is challenging the Romans. Why aren't you sharing your faith? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, I don't mean preachy, but doing life with them, living life, building the bridge, sharing the story, telling them the gospel. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? Remember, he, I'm sending you. You're the one. It's not the pastor's job. We, we, we do, you know, we'll do altar calls. And I don't do them every week. I do them every, you know, maybe once a month or so. Because I don't feel like that's, it's, it's a starting point for some, but I feel like it's you. I remember when I was on call in Kalamazoo, we would have different pastors on call during the week. It's nine at night. The uh, call service says, hey, there's an, an urgent call. You need to, so I call the guy and, and he says to me, I've talked to my friend about the Lord and he wants to give his life to the Lord, but I don't know how to do it. So I lead the guy to the Lord over the phone. But in my mind, I'm like, and I told him, I said, why aren't you praying with him? Why aren't you? I don't know how to do it. I just want to empower you. Do it. Don't lean on the pastor on call. You're the one he's sending. You're the one he's sending. Go into the world, be light. Because when you have 10 seconds of courage or you take the 30 steps across the room or you show up to the activity that you, or you coach that team because the Lord is telling you, it's not just about those events. I believe people's lives change because you know the Lord. You know him. Don't hide the light. Don't hide your light. Go and make disciples. Feel the urgency with the Lord.
Let's pray. Father, today, I believe eternity could be impacted because we believe our story matters. And I pray for those in the room that they don't believe this. They've minimized their story. And I pray today that you would just water the seed in their heart and they would be empowered that their story is significant and fits within the larger context of yours. I pray they feel that. And Father, I pray for all of us, myself, every one of us, that we would feel the urgency. Lord, we see in Acts chapter 4, the early church praying for boldness to share their faith. Lord, and they prayed it in the midst of persecution. And I pray for a boldness to share our faith today with our family, our co-workers, all the things we're involved in. I pray, Father, that we would be the example. We would be the salt. We would be the light. Our hobbies, our activities, the things that we enjoy, the cup of coffee at Starbucks, all of it is an opportunity. And I pray, Father, that we would feel the urgency of this call to make disciples, to invite people to follow Jesus so that they would be transformed. Enjoy life with you on this side of eternity and in eternity. In Jesus' name.